Join me in prayer as we go before God's word. Only Father, as we as we just say, Jesus is the heart of worship. Everything centers on him. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us the opportunity to once again on this Sunday to be reminded of him. To look to him, to treasure him. Father, thank you for the blessing and the privilege that you've given me. As we look at our text this morning to just to pastor and shepherd your people. Father, perfect. You know, there's many shortcomings. But thank you that we have a better shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And people would be encouraged being reminded of him today. Your people would grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus through the preaching of your word. May you be with us. May the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do, which is work in my heart to preach with clarity, with conviction, with unction, and for your people to learn and apply the word that they hear this morning to their lives. So we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I don't know, is this cutting out or? Okay. Um, okay, so no, that's what I thought. But I know that this past week has been very in the world of entertainment and, and news, right? Uh, Russia and Ukraine have fallen a couple of slots and have given way to the slap heard around the world, right? The famous slap in an Oscar celebration uh, or award ceremony, rather not celebration, but award ceremony. And, and these are the kind of things that make the headlines, these are the things that people will speak of and for the entire week. And this is the culture that we live in. We're consumed. We are uh, inundated, constantly bombarded with in social media, news outlets. You go to the gym, they have the TVs, and there you have the headlines going off and forth. You know, Will Smith slaps a comedian, right? And, and if you want to know my take on it, not that you're asking me, nor, nor has anyone asked me about it, all this could have been avoided if... We just simply use our words to edify one another. If you think, and I know what comedians are out there to do, they're meant to, you know, find those little things, crack jokes, and so on and so forth. Sometimes they go, as me and myself, I joke a lot, and believe me, I've been on the wrong end of those jokes, and you're like, well, you shouldn't have said that. Yeah, you're right. Um, and it happens. It happens, but I, I, I received it this past week, just going to a hockey game. Some of the brothers here just ragging on me because my Blackhawks had lost. They didn't, use their, they didn't use their words to edify. And to be fair, neither did I. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's all in, in good fun and jest. But, but yeah, that's where, this is the world we live in. And we ought to use our words to edify one another, to build each other up. And what should have taken probably center stage and we should have been inundated with is the gospel. It's probably completely off our radar on the, uh, to the other extreme, Right. And this morning, as we continue, as we continue in Acts chapter 20, we pick up in the second part, which is the original Shepherds Conference. The original Shepherds Conference, part two. Paul has changed things a little bit. He's moved from this, you know, this is where I was, this is what I've done. 
retelling these Ephesian elders that he called to Miletus and said, bring them to me. Bring them. I want to talk to them. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And he is going to give them a final exhortation. And this passage this morning kind of gives us this sense of, if, if parents, if you ever recall the time that you ever had to leave your kids for the first time, alone, at home? Parents, do you remember what you told your kids? Kids, do you remember when your parents left you at home alone for the first time? Do you remember what they told you? No parties. Don't tear the house down, right? Don't burn it down. Lock all the doors. It's a huge checklist. If someone knocks, don't open. I mean, there's so many things that go on, right? And, or even, get that, maybe, maybe just as a parent, leaving a child, sending them off to college for the first time. Because right, sometimes they go back, uh, they come back and then they go. But you drop them off, you, you, you give them all these exhortations to, hey, be mindful, don't go out partying, don't go out drinking. We know how college can be. And there's all these requisites and, and exhortations that you give as a parent. And this text kind of gives that sense this morning. Paul is speaking to the actual Ephesian elders and exhorting them, telling them, guys, this is what, you, this is what needs to be at the forefront of your mind. If you're going to shepherd, this is what you need to be concerned with. This is what you need to keep an eye on. And so, if you're with me, open up to Acts chapter 20. I'll read it from verse 17 on so we get the full picture of where Paul was and where we are today. And I'll be picking up from verses 28 all the way to 38. That will be our text here this morning. Verses 28 to 38. Now, from Miletus... He, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance Toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only. I may finish my course. And the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now verse 28 in our text here for this morning. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, 
Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And this is the reading of God's word. So, immediately, we see that Paul, as he's addressing these Ephesian elders, he tells them to watch out, to be concerned. There should be cares, right? So I, this first point is the cares of the under-shepherd. He, ha- he ought to have two cares, okay? And we're going to see these here right now. The first one is yourselves. Pay attention. Pay careful attention. This idea of yourselves. Yourselves have to be, in other words, as a shepherd, as an under-shepherd, I have to watch out for myself. But watch out for what is the question. Am I just looking, am I watching out just to make sure that when I come up to the pulpit, my drip, here you go, Ellie, wherever you are, another one, my clothing is proper and I'm at the level where Christian, American Christian, uh, Christianity is, where pastors have to wear a certain, I, I think I've said it before, social, there's a social page where there's a guy that actually takes tab of some of the clothing and garments that pastors wear and he, and he tallies up their entire garments and some of these are total to more than what some people make in entire countries, you know, in, in a month. And here they are. And so, is that what the pastor ought to be cared for, or be caring about? No. What he's referring to is, watch out for yourselves. Pay careful attention to yourselves. He's referring to your spiritual life. It is not being vertically challenged, but vertically oriented. I'm vertically challenged. Taj is not vertically challenged. (laughs) Troy is not vertically challenged. I am. And so, but the point is that we have to be, as under-shepherds, oriented. Oriented to the Lord. And you have to pay careful attention to that, as an under-shepherd. I know we have visitors here, and I know Edwin was talking about this last week, right? So this kind of goes hand in hand, because he, he mentioned how, you know, as you yourselves, how you ought to treat your pastors and... I'm the pastor he was referring to. But now you're seeing the other end of the token. Well, what's expected of the pastor? What's expected of this under-shepherd? What ought to be my concerns as an under-shepherd? And I have to watch out for myself. I have to make sure that my relationship with the Lord is there. Our conversa- my conversations with that way sometimes in the morning. Have you taken your syrup, brother? Have you remembered to bask in the gospel? Last week, Brother Troy, at lunch, he said, Brother, what are you reading? What are you going through in Scripture? 
not often that as, as a pastor, that a pastor gets asked that question. People just automatically assume the pastor is reading his Bible. I'm a bivocational pastor, and for me it's hard. It's hard because sometimes it's easy to go ahead and just be distracted and just say, well, you know, I'm preparing for my sermon, so therefore this is my time with the Lord. But that's not what it's about. It's what else am I doing to foster, to bask in the gospel, to look and seek my Savior on a daily basis. And, that is, and that's what I need to watch out for. Paul tells Timothy, again, Paul writing to Timothy, a, a pastor, right? Encouraging him. And he tells him this in 1 Timothy 3, sober-minded, be sober-minded, above reproach, self-controlled, respectable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. This is exactly what Paul is instructing Timothy. And this is for the office of that of an overseer, of a pastor. You have to make sure that you are, that I'm sober-minded, right? Not getting drunk. I'm above reproach. Now, does that mean that above reproach means I'm perfect? No, that's not what it means. But if, and people have called me out. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry, my brother, my sister. I'm sorry that I said that. Forgive me. I'm not trying to go ahead and justify why I said or what I said. Or how, maybe how I said it, maybe I, I could have been right, but how I said it was wrong, and I'm going to apologize for that. And so we have to be able to do these things as under-shepherds. We have to watch out for ourselves. Be careful that you're not put in predicaments. I have to go to um, business lunches and dinners, and, and it's easy, you know, when people are ordering drinks left and right. It's very easy to get entangled in those things. And I have to be careful that I'm not walking, you know, doing something that later on people might say, hey, by the way, weren't you? Now, granted, if that, if does, that, if that does happen, by, by the grace of God, it hasn't. But if that's, well, I'm another sinner just like everyone else, right? And I, but I should be above reproach. That's not an, uh, an excuse or, or just to justify it, but it's, maybe it's an opportunity that the Lord had for me to bring the gospel. The under-shepherd's walk must be of utmost priority. I have to watch out for my walk as much as you do as well. If this is all you do to come here to church and just simply sit here one, one day a week and just get your gospel, and then the rest of the week you, eh, you, know, you don't read, you're not partaking in the gospel, you're not in the word, then why are you confused and perplexed when you see that you're floundering? I'm not where I should be in my walk. I don't know why. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing to spend time to let the gospel, to soak in that gospel and in your Savior? That's where, that's where, the, that's where we need to be. And so, but for me, as an under-shepherd, that is something that I have to, and I do take seriously. And Paul tells Timothy later on in, in chapter 4, in the first, first Timothy 4, he tells him, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Again, he uses this word pay here in 1 Timothy. To Timothy, he says, keep a close watch. In our text, he says, pay a careful attention. It has the same connotation. Pay careful attention. What does that mean? If you ever... I'm in the maritime industry. So, it is the equivalent of deck crew. Whenever a ship is about to dock, there's so many things that can possibly go wrong. 
The last thing you want as a captain is for that ship to go ahead and hit the pier. Because that is very costly. And in order for that captain to make sure that that ship does not hit the pier, he has to make sure that he has a deck crew that's alert. That deck crew's on their walkie-talkies. They're like, Captain, you have 10 meters, 5 meters. No, go port side, go starboard side, whatever it is, however you need to turn the ship to make sure that that massive uh, creation of a ship doesn't mess up a pier. And that is the connotation that Paul is saying, pay careful attention under shepherds. Keep a close eye. Don't take your radar. Do not lose the pulse of your actual walk with the Lord. Be careful. But myself is one. The other one is my family. Because I don't care how gifted you might be, and this is what we were talking about in Sunday school, I don't care how gifted any preacher might be. If I lose pulse on my family, I can kiss the ministry goodbye. If my, and there's a famous, well-known local pastor who recently got divorced, which some of you may have heard, right? Just down the road. Got divorced and still, still there in the ministry. Wife divorced him. Now you might question, like, well, is he still qualified for ministry? Not according to Scripture. Not according to Scripture. But there he is. Still preaching, still going about, and people still, uh, you know, just kind of turn, turn a blind eye. Yeah, but, you know, it wasn't really his fault, and so you keep on going. But this is where we need to be. The moment you lose as an under-shepherd, you lose a pulse of your family. You lose the ministry. Because they go hand in hand. And so we have to be careful. Paul tells that to Timothy, husband of one wife, manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. That's what he tells Timothy. Now, are all pastors supposed to be married? Well, it seems that the, 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 the scriptures emphasize that, but it doesn't say that a pastor must be married. There could be single pastors. Now, as a single pastor, there will be limitations. right? There will be, there will be certain things that the pastor may or may not be able to do. And I know this is more of a side note, but something to think about, because sometimes we automatically think all pastors must be, uh, because we don't want to be like the Roman Catholic Church, where they're all celibate, and so we don't want to be associated with them, and therefore our pastors are going to marry. Yes, there's benefits to a pastor being married, because now a pastor can, can, uh, can associate, a pastor can relate to, to the people, to marriages and with children. But a single pastor also has advantages. A single pastor doesn't have to go ahead and say, sorry, brother, I can't make it. I have to attend to my wife. See that? In other words, a pastor, and this Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7. A pastor, great, you're there, but he's going to be divided between his, his family and, and the kingdom of the Lord. Whereas one that is single, if you can, continue to be so, because your time can actually be dedicated. I know of a, of a brother who used to be on the Appalachian Trail, and he's single, and he's been... He's just taken that and doesn't have, he just completely devotes his time to the ministry. And he's single and he's ordained. And he does it well. And he is able to minister and he has all this freedom to go visit people's houses in all different places and just meet with them, and especially unbelievers, and stay with them and bring the gospel to them. I wouldn't be able to do that. I can't tell my wife, hey, today we're going to go to you know, Idaho and go see a family out there. It ain't going to happen. And so those are the kind of things that we need to be reminded of. So regardless, 
The under-shepherd's watchful eye must not be taken off himself, off his family. But then here's a third one, the flock of God. Pay careful attention to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to the care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The text says, so immediately we're hit with something. But this is not my church. CBC is not my church. CBC is not anyone's church. CBC won't be the, the next pastor for however long the Lord has me here or whoever comes after me. This will never be their church. Because I did not shed my blood for the church. There's only one person that shed his blood for his people. And that was the Lord Jesus. If you're asking who that is, it's him. He's the only one that went to Calvary. He's the only one that received the full wrath of God upon himself. I've only tasted grace and mercy. Jesus didn't. He got the full wrath upon himself. And so, therefore, the church has been bought by the blood of Christ. Not the blood of the saints. As great as the saints that have been, that have shared in Paul and Peter and, and James and those gospels, none of them shared. Now, some of them did die horrific deaths, and the Lord used that to testify to the gospel. Some being sought in half, some being burned at the stake, some being. You know, that has happened. But as horrific as that is, none of that will compare to what happened on Calvary. And that is why the church belongs to him, not to me, nor to any pastor that calls himself a pastor of a church. Because the church is his. Matthew 2, 6, Matthew reminds us of the words of the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Michael wasn't referring to me. Michael wasn't referring to John Piper. Michael wasn't referring to John MacArthur. Michael wasn't referring to Tim Keller. Michael wasn't referring to R.C. Sproul. He was referring to Jesus. He's the one that's going to shepherd his people. I'm, we're just under shepherds. John 10, as the Jews were asking Jesus, Tell us, are you the Christ? Tell us. What, what does Jesus respond? In John 10, 25 and 29, I'll read it for you. It says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is a shepherd speaking of those that have their life hidden in him. Is your life hidden in him? Can you say Christ is my shepherd, my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer? And if you can, because that's where you are and you're a believer in Christ, then praise the Lord, he is your shepherd. And the hope that that text gives is the fact that no one I'm not saying, I'm just repeating what Jesus said. 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. And by no one, I even include the devil. Satan himself has no power nor authority against the living God. He has been disarmed. He has been completely disarmed at Calvary. So yes, there will be moments when you feel like, Lord, (laughs) is this it? Why? If you have something to memorize today, remember that. No one will snatch them from my hand. Paul wasn't even talking and you know, saying, well, Jesus said this. In reference. This is the words of Christ himself. In Revelation 7, 17, it says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And it doesn't end there. It says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Beloved, you have a shepherd that you can hope in, that you can rejoice in, that ought to bring joy this very moment, regardless of where you are right now, regardless of the circumstance and the trial that you may find yourself in. You have a shepherd that is holding you, even when you feel you are slip, uh, slipping. And, and again, who is the flock? Well, we've been addressing this, right? The flock is the church. The flock is the capital C church. Among, and among the capital C church, you have a local church. And the head of the church is Christ. Not me, not Paul, nor any of the Ephesian elders. It's Christ alone. But then this brings... Well, who are these Ephesian elders responsible for? Again, and and we tie this to local membership, local church membership. Am I responsible? Are the Ephesian elders, let me put it this way, are the Ephesian elders responsible for the saints in Corinth? Are they responsible for the saints in Thessalonica? Are they responsible for the saints in Galatia? The flock that the Lord has made you overseer of Those are the ones that you need to shepherd. The Lord has made me an overseer of of those that are here at Cornerstone. I'm not responsible for the church across the street. Now, are there people that come? Are there people that come from other churches? Absolutely. And you might be visiting. That's great. This is why at Cornerstone, in part of membership, we give a constitution, we give a membership, and in part of that packet is to let people know that you ought to be plugged into an actual local church. And if you're coming, recently our, our brothers uh, Dayron and Christina, they came from another church. Church that they had helped plant. It took, it, I in good conscience had to call. Out, Are these brothers in good standing? Are they okay? And they actually encouraged me, please, here's the number, call. Have you called? Because I couldn't get in touch initially. But that, we used to write letters and saying, this, this brother and this sister are going there, but know that they are in good standing here. They're not just leaving Cornerstone because they're avoiding some type of disciplinary action. That's why church membership, and I know church membership immediately, just like God's sovereignty, right? And we start talking about Calvin, and immediately everybody wants to talk about predestination. Beloved, something greater than predestination is God's sovereignty. And likewise, in the church mem- and when it comes to church membership, local church membership, there's something more than just church discipline. It's the ability to be able to gather together with the saints and worship together 
our Lord and our Savior. Just a question, how else do you partake of communion if you're not gathered in the local church? Because it's not for your own private taking. How else do you partake of communion? Just a question. And if anybody says, oh, but I, I, I like to just worship at home, I like to say, well, how do you, how do you partake? Because Paul says, as often as you gather, as often as you gather, do this. And so, that's the flock. That's the Lord. And now, point number two is the encouragement for the under-shepherd. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to edify, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. As, as an under-shepherd, as a, as a pastor, as an elder, as an overseer, discouragement, discouragement is part of the bundle package. I know many want to believe that, and again, I get it, because this is what we see. Pastors that are, uh, and we kind of touched upon this last week, right? Pastors that just kind of work in their study and are laboring over a sermon for 40 hours a week. I think that's the number. You guys can correct me. This is how long a pastor in what seminary professors say, how, how long a pastor should be laboring over work to have a good, proper sermon. 40 hours. Beloved, I'm sorry to inform you. <laughs> I ain't got 40 hours in my week to be able to, to, to come up with a good, proper sermon. I don't. I work. I'm a bivocational pastor. I don't use that as an excuse. And not to say that, well, I just, you know, wing it. That's not what I'm saying. But I do what I can with what I have. And I work within, that, within those boundaries. And... The people that come here in this pulpit are, are up here because I know that they're going to be faithful to preaching Christ and bringing us the, the gospel Sunday after Sunday, week after week. But discouragement is part of the bundle package in ministry. I've been blessed that we have a good congregation. There's saints here that love the Lord. That there's saints here that know Scripture. That there are saints here that can go ahead and encourage you. And you guys know your Bibles. But sometimes we obviously can become very lax because we think we know and we just kind of keep on living off, off the things that we know and we, and we stop looking to Scripture and studying Scripture together. But that is one of the things that we have. But as a pastor, that discouragement, is not, it, I have to battle with sin every day. I have to battle with sin every day. Romans 7, as much as it, it's true as much as it was for Paul as it is for me. And I'm sure all of you relate to Romans 7. That the very things that you want to do, those are the things that you don't do, and the things that you ought to be doing, and vice versa, right? We all struggle with that, and so it is discouraging. Some of you don't know it, but imagine, I remember with my wife, incident back in, I was teaching the youth. They're teaching the youth, and all of a sudden we just had an, we had an argument. And now you have to come up here and, and look people in the face and tell them about Jesus. And you feel like the biggest hypocrite. And you don't know how to shake it off. And you're like, how can I? How can I even utter these words when I myself didn't even act this way? And that's discouraging. But Paul tells them, be encouraged. Yes, you are working out your faith with fear and trembling. Paul knew, Paul had begged God, please remove this thorn. What did, what did God respond? Well, oh, yes, Paul, sure, you, you are my, the best apostle I have, therefore I'll remove it. That's not what he said. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength will be made perfect in your weakness. And I've 
in the Testament. I've never had to struggle with spiritual depression, and there's times where I do. I didn't know what that was like. But it comes with the territory. But Paul tells us there's something better. He said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. In other words, God's grace is able to pick me up. When I look at his word and I, and I just read some of the Psalms, and I remember, wow, if David can write this. David, you, you, that's why the, the Psalms are so amazing, because they're so raw. They're so honest, they're so real. God doesn't hide it and just give us this sugar-coated uh, faith that everything's going to be hunky-dory. On the contrary, why are you cast down on my soul? That's how I feel sometimes. But every time you read a psalm, you realize where the psalmist ends, and he always ends with the gospel. I feel like you're delaying, like you're delaying but come, and I know you will come. And, and you constantly get this kind of verbiage, this, 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 this prose that just tells you, wow, my Savior is there and He understands me. What I'm going through doesn't faze Him. I can be going through the worst trial and He knows. And yet He still loves me. And yet He still cares for me. Because that is the kind of shepherd that we've been given. So that is, at times, even when I'm discouraged, that is my encouragement. And as a point of reminder, how do you encourage your brother or your sister when, it come, when, when they come to you and they're discouraged? You just give them two cents, your two cents, and what you think they should need to do, do, it, do this, do this, do this, and do this, and you'll be... Or do you point them to their, to their Savior? Do you point them to Christ? Do you counsel with God's Word? Because at the end of the day, that is where our encouragement is found. It's in God's Word. I have nothing to add to God's Word, which is already infallible. So it surely doesn't need a fallible man to go ahead and add more to it. All I need to do is simply remind you of Jesus in the Scriptures. I pray that here at Cornerstone, that would be the heart. And for an under-shepherd, that is something that we need to do constantly. And point three, the work, the work ethic of an under-shepherd. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things I have shown you, he were there, shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give, to give than to receive. And by the way, as I know, that right there, what Jesus said, you're not going to find that in Scripture. Have you guys ever realized that, that that's never in Scripture? You're not going to find it in any of the Gospel letters. It is better to give than to receive. Look for the reference. You ain't going to find it. Now, why do I say that? It's because this is one of the rare instances where something that Jesus said doesn't appear in the Gospels, but because Paul, in 2 Timothy 3, all the Scripture is inspired by God. We know that Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote. And it's very likely that this was probably shared with him through another apostle. And so he, in that moment, said, this is what Jesus said, even though none of the gospel writers ever documented it. But it's in, it's in, it's in the closed canon of Scripture, and so we can trust that this is what Jesus said. 
Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. We touched upon Acts 18. We, uh, you guys remember in, in Acts where we see the, the under-shepherd is a slave to Christ. I am his servant. That is where I ought to be, and that's where I need to always be. The pastor is not a moocher. You guys know what a moocher is, right? Some of you have friends that are moochers. You know what they look like? Hey, man, Yosebas, can you hook it up? Yeah, you'll give them a little bit now. Next time they'll come around, hey, bro, I know, man, I just forgot my wallet this time. There's a person that always forgets their wallet. Wherever you go, when it's time to pay, I didn't bring it. We all know who that person is. We all have some of them. Some of them are in our family. Some of them are sitting next to you. <laughs> but the pastor, the pastor, the modern pastor, oftentimes is actually to the opposite. It's actually to the opposite. We actually see pastors that are professional preachers. They write sermons. They write books. They're in conferences. They're going here. They're going there. They're showing up on TV. They're, 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 they're headlining a particular conference. That's my pastor. You're going to get that with me. But, but, hopefully, you get someone that at least cares for you. And someone that at least will, and, that, and I always remember because Edwin, you know, and I've shared this with you and I'll share it again. That's the first sermon that I heard when Edwin was preaching. When Edwin was preaching, when the church used to look that way. And he wasn't as elevated like Spurgeon, you know, from preaching all, all the way from up there. And he was leaning over the pulpit and saying that the pastor's heart ought to be to have his hands in the fleece of the sheep going through First Timothy. And that impacted me because I had never seen up until that moment. Again, I'm not a church hopper. I'm not a church hopper. I've only, this is only my second church that I've ever been to. But that was something that I had never seen up until that time. That someone actually cares to put their hands in the fleece of the sheep. Because guess what? You put your hands in there, you don't know what you're going to find. And it's messy. But you do it because you have a love for them, for God's people. Now, I'm not saying I do that perfectly. I'm just simply saying that that's my goal. That work ethic. I always said it, you know, I'm, I'm the first one to roll up my sleeves. Because it has, that, that key word there, Paul, Paul is not saying, well, you've heard it said of me. He didn't say that. He actually says, I have shown you. I have demonstrated to you. You have absolutely nothing to say that, oh, well, did we really? Is there any question here? Is there any doubt that you really did these things, Paul? No, I have shown you. You have seen it with your own two eyes. Oh, I have worked with my own two hands. and Not just my necessities, but of my companions as well. Because the pastor ought to have that kind of work ethic. And sometimes you see me, I'm like, You'll, you'll, and again, this is, and please, I am not here to go ahead and boast because I, I, the Lord knows I have nothing to boast about. But that is the heart that I have. And when you're picking up chairs, when you're cleaning up, you're the last one to leave. I'm not serving myself to make sure that you guys have enough. So that even if you guys want to get seconds and thirds, that's okay. Lord knows I have enough to store. But that's the heart of the pastor, and that's where the work ethic ought to be. Again, compare the celebrity pastor of today versus what Paul is telling the Ephesian elders. 
Compare the pastor of today, the celebrity pastor uh, paradigm, to what Paul is encouraging and exhorting the Ephesian elders to do. I always, I always remember, if you guys have seen Kobe Bryant, you guys know who Kobe Bryant is. He said, you know, there's people that have shared Kobe Bryant and his work ethic. And there's been basketball players that have come up and said, you know, that they've gone into the gym before a game, and they see Kobe shooting. They go up, they do their two-hour warm-up, they leave, and Kobe's still shooting. He's still doing his drills. And not just, you know, little, little jump shots here and there, walking. Like, he's actually going through game motions. And then he plays the game, and this player actually says, well, man, I had to, I had to ask Kobe. I'm like, yo, like, whoa. Like, I was in the gym. You were already there. I leave. You're still shooting. Then you play the game. You, try, you, you score, like, 40, 50 points on us. Like, what's up with that? He says, I just wanted you to know that no one's going to outwork me. No one is going to outwork me. In other words, I'm going to be in the gym, I'll be the first one there, and I'll be the last one to leave. But I didn't want you to leave thinking, oh, Kobe walked off the court. I wanted you to leave with that mentality that, man, <laughs> this guy's a beast. I'm not going to outwork him. And that's, at least that's the work ethic that we ought to have. But here, it's not for our own glory, though. Because we're not competing for an NBA trophy. We're competing, we're, we're actually going for something else. We're, we're emulating our Savior. The pastor is emulating his Savior, his shepherd, so that they may help the weak, the poor, the needy. That's the believer's goal. See, my goal is not to go ahead and not work everybody just to say, hey, nobody outworks me. I'm working hard to make sure that those that are in need have. What would that look like? Have you ever asked yourself, what would that look like if all of CBC had that kind of work ethic? Not just the pastor, not just a handful of people, but an entire fellowship of believers rolling up their sleeves, serving their king, displaying the gospel through their service, quietly, not boasting about it, but they're serving, displaying that glorious gospel to our visitors, and to the next generation. Something to think about. What would that look like here at Cornerstone? I can't answer for any of the churches, but here, those that are here, that's a question for you to answer. And finally, gospel, love, and unity. We see that Paul knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on part of, on part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Have you guys ever seen... Those Facebook posts or Instagram stories where people are saying bye to their relatives at the airport? Never seen them? People are there in tears, you know, people that they haven't seen in years. Now that they were here for a week, two weeks, and now they're leaving. And, and it happens a lot because especially countries that sometimes you get visas, it's not easy to come in here, right, uh, into the country. So you have to get a visa. That visa will expire. So they'll come in. They haven't been here for years. And then all of a sudden, they finally get the visa, they're here, and now they have to leave. And you're like, man, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. People that haven't been able to say bye to loved ones because they weren't able to go back to or, or enter a country. And sometimes I wonder, what, if this, what would it have looked like if this would have been captured in one of those Instagram stories? What would it have looked like for Paul, everybody there in tears, and Paul grabbing all of them, 
and kneeling down and praying with them. He knows that they were sorrowful. He knows where they were. He knows that they're, that they're like, man, dude, I'm never going to see you again. You just told us that. I'm never going to see your face again. Because of, because of what he said. Imprisonment and trials await me. But there they are, kneeling together. This mutual love between Paul and the Ephesian elders. All of them together, on their knees, praying. What an amazing way to say bye to someone and just pray with them. Not just for traveling mercies. Lord, protect them as they go on their, on their way. But Lord, use them. Use Paul wherever he goes. Use them for your glory. And the Lord did continue using Paul. But that heart, that mutual love, I love it. Because we talk about the one another's. Here's a perfect picture of the one another's. Carrying each other's burdens. Because they're burdened. The Ephesian elders are burdened by what Paul shared, that what awaits him. Galatians 6, 2, bury, uh, bear, carry each other's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. They are exemplifying what Paul had written to the church in Galatia and to the church in Colossae. Love one another. They're carrying each other's burdens. And of course, Paul had a heart for them too because he knew that he wouldn't see them again. But he still wanted to miss them. That's why he called them over to Miletus. So, in conclusion, I'll end with this story. You guys know who Andrew Bonner, uh, Bonar is? Uh, Bonner, however you want to say his name. He's the brother of Horatius Bonner. Bonner, the famous... From, from Scotland. They were contemporaries with Robert Murray Machane. Some of you know who Robert Murray Machane is, a young Scottish pastor, has a Bible reading plan, a very famous one. But anyway, Andrew Bonner, um, speaking of this, he actually asked them one time, he was sharing this story on sheep in the highlands of Scotland. Some of you are perhaps familiar with the story, but he shares that these sheep in the highlands of Scotland, they sometimes jump into rocks down a cliff. Sheep. And there they are. They jump down and they're bah! you know, bleeding out of distress. But they see all this tall grass which there in those cliffs is very, uh, it's very sweet. So they'll be there. The shepherd is hearing them. The shepherd is hearing them bleeding and, and, and crying for help. And there they are eating, 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 eating until there's obviously no more grass to continue eating. And then they're faint. And they actually, and then the, at that moment, the, the shepherd will then go send the rope, tie them up, and bring them and take them out of that part. And they ask Andrew, well, why? How come you don't immediately go out and tie the sheep and go down immediately? You moment hear him in distress. He goes, ah, very interesting question. Because if I do that, the moment they start in distress and and and, and bah, right. If I go down there in that moment, they're actually going to go ahead and jump off the cliff. They'll run away. So you have to wait for them to grow faint, to grow tired, to have nothing else. So at that moment, the shepherd will go down, tie them, and bring them, and bring them out. Beloved, 
Isn't that a picture of what God and our shepherd has done for us? Isn't that what our shepherd has done for you? That you had to come to realize there was nothing else but him. And there's no one else but him. That the shepherd that you have come to love and to trust and to proclaim your faith in, the one that leaves the 99 to seek the one that is lost. That's our shepherd. If, if, if that doesn't cause you to rejoice, then what does? Because surely the lottery ticket ain't going to cause you You might think it does, but it ain't. Getting the bonus at work isn't going to cause you to rejoice. It might for a temporary, but to have eternal life. This is why the words of Jesus in John 10 are, are so precious. Because my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I know them and they know me. So that you can go ahead and take to the bank. That you can go ahead and meditate on this week and today and remember that you have an infinitely better shepherd than the one that, that pastors Cornerstone, which is the Lord Jesus. And, believe, and, and if you're an unbeliever today, you're trying, I know you're trying to make sense of all the chaos in the world. You can't sit here and tell me and look me in the eye and try to say, I got it figured out. I know what's happening. No one knows what is happening. No one knows if Putin is going to meet up with Zelensky and come up with peace talks. No one knows where the fertilizers are going to come and, and, and if crop rotation is going to continue to happening. No one knows if rationing is going to start occurring. All we know that right now there's chaos and no one knows which way is up. But, but God does. And there's one that holds this entire universe in the palm of his hand. I want to read for you Colossians. Colossians 1. Allow me. If you're an unbeliever, listen to this. Believers too. You might be familiar with this. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writing to the church in Colossae, he says what? He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, pay attention, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, he's speaking of me, he's speaking of some of you, this is, this is, this is who you were formerly. Some of you that haven't come to Christ are still there. So he's referring to you, saying, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, 
doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you do not know Christ, come to the one that holds all things together. This is your call. You don't have an excuse anymore. You can't say, I never heard the gospel. So come to the one that holds all things together. We may not know what happens tomorrow. We don't know if there will be peace talks. But remember this, there's one that already made peace. The biggest chasm on this side of heaven wasn't two countries at war or countries at war. The biggest chasm that we had was between us and the living God. And that chasm was closed at Calvary. So look to him. Come to Christ. Don't wait until you can figure things out. There's something beautiful that you can come as you are, even today. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray that your people would be encouraged through the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that people would know that they would know who you are. That the peace that you give is there's no peace like it. Father, I pray that your people would be reminded that they would be reminded of their Savior and enjoy Him not one day but today while they sojourn here on this side of heaven. And Father, there's anyone here that doesn't know you. I pray, Lord, that you work in their hearts. Only you know if the message today was planting a seed or if it was watering a seed. But all I ask, Father, is that you be pleased to harvest their souls for your glory and the honor of Christ. May you be pleased. May you be May, may today be a sweet aroma unto you, Father. Thank you for the privilege of preaching and of hearing your word once again. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.